Hello, and welcome to the G2 podcast. Hello, everybody. Um, you know the word great? We use that quite a lot, don't we? It's, we use it quite casually, like, that was great, you're great, great stuff. It's quite a normal word in our language. But the word greatest, or even the concept of greatest, is not something we use that much. Like, trying to pinpoint something that is the greatest is so much harder. If I said to you, what is your greatest achievement? I wonder what comes to mind for you. Like, trying to find that that thing, that, like, the most amazing thing you've ever done is really tricky. You can probably think of great things you've done, but your greatest thing is much harder. For me, it's probably, I did a triathlon last summer. It was a sprint triathlon, so it wasn't a full triathlon. Just want to say that. um, But it probably was my greatest achievement but then that feels harsh like on my kids as if they're not my greatest achievement like no no the triathlon was way better (laughs) but also I did the triathlon like within the last year or so so it's easy to remember um or what is the greatest thing that exists in your life what's the greatest part of your life what comes to mind then is it is it an object is it a person is it an animal maybe it's your cat or your dog is your greatest part of your life is it uh, a job or a house it's so difficult to uh, to gr- like grasp these terms um and today we're going to be talking about and over the next few weeks this idea of being greater than that's what our series is called because um in the book of hebrews the the writer uses this uh, term quite a few times and so we're going to be digging into what it means to be greater than something but before we do that let's just get into a bit of context with Hebrews if you've got Bibles or Bibles on your phone today I really recommend you have this open in front of you get Hebrews open so that when we read um, passages we can read it together So the book of Hebrews is written to a Jewish audience. Um, We don't actually know who the author is, um, but we do know that they were very familiar with uh, the the law or the Torah, which is the first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And uh, it's pretty obvious by the way they write that the audience they're writing to is also familiar with those books and the stories in them. Um, just in case you don't know the word uh, Hebrews, um, it means first chosen by God. It's another word for the Israelites or the Jewish people. Um, Abraham was first called a Hebrew. So even the, the fact that it's called Hebrews, it's clear that it's written for a Jewish audience by a Jewish Christian at the time. And it must have been written before 70 AD because it talks about uh, the rituals and sacrifices that were happening in the temple and the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So somewhere between Jesus dying and the temple being destroyed, uh, this book was written. Um, and Hebrews is all about a new covenant. It's it, The writer is writing to Christians, but they're, they're Jewish. So they've got the Jewish ancestry, but he's reminding them of the new covenant in which they now live. It's like the old is gone and the new is here, and we need to make sure we're stepping into that new covenant and not living by the rituals and the way the ways of the Jews. That's still our story. Those are still really, really important things, but we're now in a new time. And so that's partly why we're doing it now. We're, we're at the new, a new academic year. We tend to do our years at G2 on the sort of academic calendar. So it's like the start of a new year, 
we're coming back after a break. And I was just drawn to this as like, this is a, it's a new start. It's a new thing that is happening. And what we'll see as we read Hebrews is there's a bit of a pattern to this book. So the, the author uh, reminds um, the readers of someone great. So chooses like a great person. And we'll see that that's Moses. He talks about the angels. He talks about the high priests. Um, and then he says, but Jesus is greater than them. So he chooses someone really significant and then says, but Jesus is greater. Then the writer gives a bit of a warning um, to sort of like, uh, you know, a gentle challenge, a reminder, and then finishes with some hope or a promise. And so that's that's how we formed our series. So today we're going to be looking at Moses, next week uh, the angels, and then we'll be finishing with the high priests on the third week. So let's get into Moses. We're in Hebrews 3, if you want to read along with me. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as the servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So you might have noticed there that the writer uses the word faithful four times in that short passage. And he's talking about Moses and he's reminding the readers of Moses's faithfulness during his leadership. He quotes Numbers 12 verse 7 where he says, um, it, well, sorry, it says there that uh, God said, my servant Moses is faithful in all my household. So it's quoting old uh, scripture, it's quoting the law. So again, that would be something that the readers would have known at the time. And it's particularly, that, that part of Numbers is particularly referring to Moses building the tabernacle, which was known as God's house. It was the very first place where like, there was a, a building, it was a tent, it was a place where the, the spirit of God would dwell. And God gave instructions to Moses to build this um, this tabernacle um, and Moses was faithful in doing that not just in building it but in carrying out some very detailed instructions that God gave him um, if you do want to read the if you enjoy reading basically a plan of how to build a tabernacle it's six chapters in Exodus 25 to 31 and it includes specifics of types of wood of lengths of uh, widths of bronze of oil of garments all sorts of details you know if you're lying in bed late at night and you're like can't get to sleep Exodus 25 that's where to go you'll soon be asleep and then a little bit later on in Exodus 36 through to 40 is we get five chapters of Moses then carrying out those instructions and following all those details. Um, but what it shows us is Moses is faithful to the detail. And in his life, Moses did loads and loads of things. But the writer here is specifically picking up on this part of Moses's uh, leadership. So why does he do this? I think he wants to encourage the readers to keep looking to Moses as an example, 
So when he says Jesus is greater than, it's not to put Moses down. Moses is still a brilliant example of how to live. He wants to encourage the readers in their faithfulness and to remind them that God is interested in all of the details. It's that he all the, it's not just go and build a tabernacle, but here's all the details. God is interested in all of that, and Moses was faithful in all of that. But Jesus was greater. And so as they think about Moses' faithfulness, that they would, would have known really well, they'd know all the details of Moses' life, all the stories that we see of, that tell us about Moses, the writer then compares him to Jesus. Moses was faithful in God's house, it says, but Christ is faithful over God's house. Moses built God's house, but God is the builder of everything And then it says that we are his house. We are now the place where the Holy Spirit lives. We are the tabernacle. We are the church. It isn't a building. It isn't a tent. It is now us that is the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Moses was a great leader that made space for the Holy Spirit to dwell. But Jesus is greater because Moses built a house for God's spirit, but Jesus builds everything and he's made a way for God's spirit to dwell in us. But like I said, this message of hope comes with a warning. It comes with a challenge because the writer then goes on to quote Psalm 95. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. So while Moses was known for his faithfulness, the people that he was leading, the Israelites, they were not known for their faithfulness. They they are the ancestors to the people reading this, the people it was written to. And time and time again, they questioned Moses, they lost trust and hope in God, they complained and they grumbled. And as a result of that, they never reached the place that they were promised. And so for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. The writer here in Hebrews urges them, not to follow in the same footsteps. Do not harden your hearts. Do not turn away, but keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Do not repeat history. If Jesus is greater than Moses, then the stakes are also higher for us. The stakes for for Moses and the people was to not reach the land that they were promised. They, They didn't get there and Moses died without ever seeing it. But that whole journey is symbolic of our place of reaching eternity. We are promised eternity. The stakes are, the promise is higher. Jesus is greater, but the stakes are greater too. So it says, hold firm. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus so that we can walk into that promise. And then it finishes with a message of hope, a promise And this is a promise of rest that we see in chapter four. Now, before we read it, I just want to talk about rest for a minute because I do not find it easy to rest. I really don't. I've just had the whole of August off work. It's not totally off when you've got two kids. You're not really resting, but I get that that is a gift to not not work for a whole month. Um, 
But if I'm really honest, I am not in the place of rest that I wanted to be right now. And I have physically rested. We've been on holiday. We lounged by the pool. I managed to read half a book. Um, but So I've had physical rest, but my mental rest has not been what I wanted it to be. So, for example, please don't judge me here, but my son Aaron is about to start secondary school. And uh, part of the, the kit list is, for his PK is he needs football boots. So we went shopping for football boots last week, and it was only upon trying them on that I realized this boy doesn't know how to tie shoelaces. <laughs> because kids' shoes now are all Velcro. Like, I learned to tie shoelaces when I was three. He's 11 and about to start secondary school, and he's never had a pair of lace-ups in his life. Don't judge me, please. <laughs> Feel awful about this. So obviously, upon buying them, I was like, oh, right, now we need to teach him how to tie his shoelaces, or we'll get YouTube to do it. Um, so, uh, so I was like, right, clock that, we'll do that at the weekend, that's fine. That's not what my brain thinks. What my brain thinks is, I'll remind you about this at 3 a.m., Hannah. So two nights later, I'm like, in my sleep, I've come into my light sleep, like glanced at the clock, had a drink, and as I'm dozing back off, my brain goes, football boots. I'm like, right, thank, thanks for that. Don't need to do that now, do we? That's, I've got it, I'll do it at the weekend. Okay, fine, go back to sleep. Football boots! Does anyone else have this? Even if it's not at 3 a.m., just at various points in your life. So I'm like, no, 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 brain, we really don't need to do this now. This is not helpful. Just go back to sleep. But what about the football boots? Okay, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to get my phone, I'm going to send myself a little reminder, done. Okay, that's fine. Don't have to think about the football boots anymore. Then I'm going back to sleep. Morgan's PE kit. What, what, why are we talking about Morgan's PE kit now, Brain? This is not needed. I ordered Morgan's PE kit. But you didn't pick it up. No, I no I'm going to do that on Monday. I think I'm going to do that on Monday. That's fine. You need to pick up the PE kit. You've not made a note. Right, okay, we'll make a note about that. Great, now I'm wide awake. Now, so now I'm like, please go back to sleep. Please go back to sleep. Sometimes I'm awake for an hour and a half because once the brain starts... You didn't sort out the dogs? No, I didn't sort out the dogs because Luke sorted out the dog. Oh, my goodness. So even when I am lying in bed, even when my body is resting, my brain does not switch off so easily. Now, I'm a bit concerned about showing you this. Like, I feel like Alison Gray, our safeguarding officer, is going to get a few emails tomorrow going, Hannah's hearing voices at 3 a.m. I'm not. I know that it's just my own brain, but this is how I work. Yeah, my brain does not relax easily. And so what we're going to read about in Hebrews 4 is a promise of rest. And I just want to be really upfront in saying, I'm not going, hey, guys, I found this and it's really good. I, I totally know how to rest. I'm in a place of going, that sounds amazing. Could we figure this out together? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be good if we can really learn what this place of rest looks like? So let's have a look at chapter 4. It talks about entering a place of rest. And by that, it means this, this land promised to Moses and the Israelites. It's called a place of rest. And it's also described as the land of milk and honey. Now, to me, milk and honey like conjures up my grandma making me, when I used to go and stay with her, like eight o'clock at night, have a little drink of milk with some honey in it. But I don't think that's what the writer means here. <laughs> The idea of the land of milk and honey is, um, is uh, in order to have milk, you need to have livestock. And in order to have livestock, you need to have fields and you need to have water. Now, I grew up in rural Shropshire where there's more sheep and cows than humans. So for me, that's like, of course. But 
where these guys were based was a very dry place. So the idea of a land that has milk in it is a land of provision. It's a land where there's no drought. It's a land where the rain comes. It's a land where there's green grass and there's fields. It's something to like aspire to. And similarly with honey, in order to have honey, you need to have bees. In order to have bees, you need to have flowers. So you need places where those flowers can grow. You need water, you need good soil. So the land of milk and honey is really a picture of a land of provision and sweetness. It's rich in livestock, it's rich in farmland, it's got good soil, it's a place of provision, it's a place of sweetness. And in comparison to Egypt, so remember we're talking about the story of Moses and the Israelites, where they had left uh, the land of slavery. They'd left a land where they didn't know what it meant to rest. What it, they didn't, they'd never experienced that. They'd, their whole lives had only known uh, work. They were then being promised this land of rest, of milk and honey. For them, this was the land of freedom that they would get to and because they were still on a journey at this point they'd left slavery but they still weren't resting because they were on a journey to this place that they were going so in Hebrews 4 it says there remains then a sabbath rest for the people of God for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his so Moses and those original Israelites that left Egypt, they never reached that place of rest. And it says here that that promise that was given to them still stands for us today. This promise of rest, this land of milk and honey, it's not a physical place anymore, but it is a spiritual one and it's available to us. It's a place of freedom, a place of sweetness, a place of provision. It says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So let's just link all of this together. We've got Moses was faithful and rest was promised. The Israelites were disobedient and the promise wasn't fulfilled. Jesus is greater than Moses and therefore the promise of rest for us is greater than that promise that was given to the Israelites. But this is all tied with the idea of obedience, of promise and commitment. We don't just get this place for free. We get it through obedience and we lose it through disobedience. Now, and that's not to say, oh, if you've been bad, you won't get to rest. I don't think I'm being woken up at three in the morning because I've been disobedient. Like, I don't think it's a formula, but it's about a promise and a commitment. It's about walking in step with Jesus, fixing our eyes on him and remembering all those little details that is given to us. So do we want this? I definitely do. I want to know what rest looks like regardless of my circumstances. I want to be free from worry. I want to be able to breathe deeply. And I want to know the presence of Jesus at 3 a.m. in my daily life. And what I love about this is it isn't something we have to ask for. It's not saying if you ask for this, if you don't have to beg for it, it's right there being promised to us. It's a promise that still stands 
It's offered to us as a promise, but we do need to step into it as we walk with Jesus in obedience and hope. So why don't we respond to this now? Please would you stand with me? Why don't we just close our eyes and for a moment just think about this land of milk and honey. This land of provision and sweetness. What does that look like for you? Not physically. I mean, you can picture the bees and the the land if that's helpful. But spiritually, what does that look like for you to be in a place of provision And a place of sweetness. A place of rest. And a place of freedom. Maybe there's an area of your life that's coming to mind. Where you want to walk more in freedom. But maybe there's an area of your life where. You want to say sorry. You might want to repent. Let's just breathe deeply. This place is a promise to us, a promise from a long, long time ago that still stands today. And I really feel that with promises, it's something we have to step into. Even if we don't feel like it, even if it feels like it's really far away, there's something about stepping into something and saying, this is what I want physically. This is, I want a change. And so if you, if that's something you want, then I just encourage you to take a step forward. God, thank you so much for these, the promise that you have given us. Thank you so much for the land of sweetness and provision, the land of rest and freedom. And as we step forward, those of us that have stepped forward, we ask that the shackles be broken, the things that are holding us back be taken away. We ask for mental rest as well as physical rest and spiritual rest. We pray that we would know you intimately every day as we walk with you. We pray that we would know you closely in the middle of the night as in the middle of the day.
I've just got a picture of um, someone holding something. It might be a drink, but I'm not sure. And just putting that down. So maybe for some people it's about putting something down as you step forward and leaving something behind. Thank you, Jesus, for this promise. Thank you for making space so that you can dwell in us. Let's worship together.